Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. It's time for you and those you love to step off the addiction roller coaster for good and learn a solution that works. It's called Move Past Addiction Masterclass, and it's a free one hour live online class where you'll hear new and empowering information about how to solve addiction for good without steps, meetings, rehabs, or being labeled for life. If you're struggling or you love someone who is, then this masterclass is for you. To enroll in this free one-hour class, click the link provided or go to thefreedommodel.org and choose the date and time that works for you. See you at the masterclass. Hey, everyone. Hi, welcome to the Addiction Solution. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we wrote, along with Stephen Slate, these books, The Freedom Model for Addiction, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. And the Freedom Model for the Family, um, which is a much smaller, shorter version. So if you got the book and you want, you have somebody you love that is like terrified that you're not doing uh, AA anymore or that you, I don't know, they're just not, don't understand what you're doing. The Freedom Model for the Family, you can get a free digital download of the Freedom Model for the Family by going to thefreedommodel.org and entering uh, promo code or coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout, just like you can get this book for free too, uh, the right. digital download. So if you notice, uh, let me get my hand right here. If you're watching, you can see there's a QR code here. And what does that do? That will take you to the registration page for our free one hour live Move Past Addiction Masterclass. And the reason to go to the Masterclass, it's a great place to learn in a very short period of time exactly what the Freedom Model is all about, exactly how different it is from treatment, from um, recovery programs like AA and NA, um, and and why maybe you've been struggling trying to do those things. I, I think that that's really the, the point that I, I wanted to talk about is in the masterclass, we go over um, why people struggle and they don't know why usually. Right. Usually they can, they are continuing to go down the treatment game. They're continuing to go to meetings sporadically or consistently, you know, 12 step meetings, or they're going to therapies, addiction therapies. Maybe they're on a mat regimen that they feel they need for life, all these things, but all of it isn't working. Right. right? They feel like they're failures. Like each time you relapse, you go back to you return to heavy use you feel worse than the time before. It further reinforces what you've been told that you're powerless. Um, and and you just can't maybe get past that dichotomy of 
I'm powerless, but I somehow need to figure out how to make a choice. And if I go to these meetings, it's all very confusing. Right. And we're going to clarify. We're actually going to give you in that masterclass two uh, classes that are exactly like the format of our online program. So you can see exactly how we take research and we show you through science how you can move past a certain aspect of your problem. And, we, and when I say certain aspect, what, I, what I'm saying is we're very detailed. We take each thing in bite-sized chunks so that you can understand it and take care of one small piece at a time until you've basically deconstructed the things that have gotten you yeah. uh, miserable and feeling like a failure and feeling guilty and shameful and fear-ridden. And we eliminate all of that through science, logic, and an amazing amount of um, wonderfully empowering information. That's it. It's like you'll be blown away you for will. real. <laughs> Your mind will be blown. And remember, you can get the book for free, right? Yeah. In paperback version and uh, digitally. If you want it digitally, go to thefreedommodel.org. And when you go to the books tab, you buy it digitally. And when you check out, use coupon code FREEDOM100. Yes. That's freedom, the word freedom, and then the digits 100. There we also there is an audiobook available as well through Audible. Mm -hmm. uh, you can order it. Um, and also Apple, you can order it right through the freedommodel.org if you want. It's very inexpensive. Um, and um, the, the other thing I want to quickly mention about the masterclass is when you come you get, uh, or when you register, you'll get promo codes to get generous discounts off our program options. When she says generous, we're talking 50% off the online program. Yeah. That's a massive savings and a huge savings on our coaching. Yeah. 20% off the coaching program as well. So, so that, that in and of itself is a reason just to register because you'll get, even if you decide you don't want to watch and you just want to get the coupon codes, um, you can do that or you can register and provide that coupon code to somebody that you love mm -hmm. who might be interested. So, um, you'll get that through, through an email process. The other thing um, is when you, when you schedule, when you register, it's scheduled for Thursdays, usually Thursdays at noon yeah, or we sometimes we have not around given. a little bit in the next couple of weeks. But, uh, if you can't make that time slot, don't worry. Cause we record it. And That's because right. you've registered, you can watch it anytime and you can get all those coupon codes at that time. Yeah. So it's a, it's an amazing value and, um, it's going to blow your mind. Yep. All right, let's get started. So what we're going to talk about today is, and we've had this as a request, uh, from a couple different people online, um, and somebody that emailed us is leaving, leaving what I would call the recovery cult. Yep. Um, you know, uh, how, how difficult it was because we did leave. And so I want to, I want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, our, our experience was a little bit different because we stayed kind of on the periphery of the industry for a really long time. Um, to me, that was, uh, made it more difficult, um, to truly leave, not easier. Um, and I think some people would mistakenly think that that made it easier. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's a process that people go through when they leave a cult. So what are we talking about? Let's first define what we're talking about. We're talking about AA, uh, NACA, any of the 12 step programs. 
which have their influence throughout what we call in the freedom model, the, the recovery society. So the recovery society is, is part of Western culture. So no matter it's, who you are, you're affected by the recovery society's influence. You're, it's deeply entrenched. It's a hundred years old now. Yeah. And it's, and it, so it's generationally been taught to people that they, that humans are uh, weak, uh, susceptible to something called addiction. So they've, they've um, personified addiction into almost a living entity. Uh, they consider it a disease, which it is not a disorder, which it is not. Um, addiction is a habit and that we, that we build. Um, but, but you're influenced by this to varying degrees. And I just did a blog. If you want to see the blog, go to the mm. blog part on, um, the freedommodel.org. And I talk about the three levels of indoctrination. So the first level of indoctrination is that you're passively in society and you're getting commercials about the magic of alcohol, the magic of drugs, the powers of drugs, mythology. All of this is constantly being taught to you through education, commercials. Uh, Big Pharma has a huge hand in making sure you believe that drugs are powerful um, and that their drugs are better than your, the drugs you're taking. And, and there's this big competition for your money. In the treatment industry. So that's the passive sort of um, cultural, you know, uh, indoctrination. Yeah, it's, you, you don't even realize it when, when you, I mean, all you have to do is turn on the television in TV shows, you'll notice, and I want you to start looking for this, okay? You'll notice somebody had a hard day. So they come in and they, they pour a glass of wine or they crack, crack open a beer. Right. Every movie has it. Every single <laughs> movie has it. I mean, so, and then on the other side of it, you, if you go to the doctor and say you broke your arm, you get, they give you a, a prescription for opiates. And what do they do? They sit there and they say, these are highly addicting. Now there's a sticker right on it. There's a sticker it's, right it's on it. It's an addictive drug. It's an opioid. Yeah. Right? And so you <laughs> should be very afraid to take it. I mean, yeah. some people are won't even take them. Yeah, that's crazy. Because they're so terrified of the magical powers that these have to enslave them. When it's really about 1% of people that ever get prescribed opioids have a problem with them. 1%. Right. We're 99 talking out of 100 people take op that take opioids do not have a problem. I, think about that. Yeah. Well, I want you to also think about something else, okay? That it, at the same time they're telling you how addicting these opiates are, they're also saying everybody has them in their medicine cabinet, yes, right? Yes. Like, like people... <laughs> Yeah, the ad campaigns, the government ad campaigns that you, you, your drug dealer is in your medicine cabinet, and there's all these leftover drugs. I, like, like yeah. if you're an addict, why are you leaving drugs in your medicine? Cabinet? Yeah, and you don't even realize they're there. Just kind of left them there. Yeah, it's so absurd. It's so crazy, it, and so it absurd. is true that nearly everyone who gets a prescription for opiates, nearly everyone has some left. Yeah, they because because. Opiates are not inherently pleasurable. Now, when I was young and I was liked liked the feeling of being intoxicated and high, um, they were kind of a quick and easy way to feel high, to feel different in my brain, right? Feel different um, and slow things down, which is what I preferred. I preferred the the process of slowing my slowing my processor down because I I kind of spin sometimes. So so, but. But the truth was, I I didn't get hooked on them because I had a prescription. I was given them at one point by someone, 
and to get high. I mean, specifically to get high. Now, I think nowadays there's such a narrative. And this is what we mean by this first level indoctrination. There's such a narrative that they're creating that problem. It's actually feeding a problem. Yeah. And so we've been doing this now for 100 years, which is why we have the overdose rates, why we have the addiction rates, why we have the suicide rates. It's if you focus on a problem and then you make awareness for it, they have awareness campaigns and that it's and that most of it is misinformation so that a solution is not attainable to something that isn't real. You know, I'm not saying the misery isn't real. I'm not saying that people don't like to get high or people like to get high. I'm not saying that's not real. What I'm saying that's not real is that uh, addiction is a thing that attacks you, that you're susceptible for, and that things are inherently pleasurable. So we go through all that in the book. I And there's plenty of podcasts on that. And I don't want to go too much further with this. I just wanted to define what we're talking about. And so how do you escape all of this? How do you move past and then, and then what do you do with your time? Right. 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 How do you, well, and how do you shed the idea that you're somehow different than other people? Right. Right. And, and so in our book and in our programs, we go through a fine tuned process where you can look at each part of the addict identity define where you feel feel you get benefits from drugs and then challenge all of that and with the science. And now everybody has a certain amount of that mythology as we just described. Um, And then once, but there comes a point and this is where we want to get to. So watch all our other podcasts about that or read our book or go to the masterclass or get our online program, whatever it takes to get you out of that mess. What I want to talk about now is walking out of the mess and then what does that look like? Yeah. What is it like where you take, you no longer go to meetings, you no longer have to do anything to maintain, there's little quotes for the people that are listening, maintain recovery. I do nothing to maintain recovery because I'm not recovering from anything because I don't have a disease and never did. So there's nothing to recover from. You can't recover from yourself because I am the reason I liked drugs. So once you once you realize all that, you can you can literally walk away from the problem. Yeah, it's it's I think a lot of times and I see this a lot in the groups there's this back and forth um partly because you believe that you need to be around people doing the same thing as you. You believe you need support. And I actually had somebody on the phone uh, a couple of days ago say that to me. Well, well, people in early recovery need support. Oh, that's such a, that's such a lie. And, and I, lie. I do want to, I want to talk about that. And there's a difference between having a social life. Okay. Having a social life and believing that you need to be propped up to be supported in order to not do something you don't want to do. And that's the key because if you really didn't want to get drunk or high, okay, which is the goal to, in order to truly leave this whole, uh, you know, addiction thing behind you, you need to get to the point where you know, unequivocally, and this is how it becomes easy. You know, I, I don't need that for any reason. And it's not all that great. And you've, actually changed your preference 
for it. Right. You've found that it has, when you take the value of the drug experience, the substance experience, whether it's alcohol or whatever, when you take the value of that away by reinterpreting the experience, which is what we teach in the freedom model, um, then you're not going to want something that doesn't value that, that, that has no value to you. That doesn't serve you. I was telling somebody just yesterday that if you were told from a young age that you needed red elephants in your house to be happy, and you were told that over and over and over again, and then somebody came along in town and painted elephants red, you would do everything in your power to have that in your house, you know, and that's basically like what drug quote unquote addiction is. It's a bunch of myths that have blown this up into a valuable, valuable experience with some active placebos that that are powerful on your body. And so so what happens is you 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 value that. But what Michelle is saying is that once you get to a place where you realize and you challenge that and you say, really, is it really doing all these things for me or not? And you challenge that all of a sudden you go, oh, it's not. I don't need a red elephant. This is actually taking up a bunch of space in my living room and seems kind of silly because I know a bunch of people that don't have red elephants in their living room. And rooms. they're really happy. And, and they have all this space and they have really nice furniture and I have to, to keep cleaning up this mess. And that's what it's like. That's what an addiction is like. It's like this big thing in your life that really isn't producing very good results. But somebody keeps telling you society and the treatment industry. How, and how amazing it is and recovery. Oh yeah. And recovery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. So, so when you're leaving and it is, when you're leaving a cult, it is no different than what Mark was just talking about. It's no different because now you've been told you need this group of people. You need to do something for your recovery. Maintain recovery. Right. So you so you can leaving the the cult of recovery becomes a lot like solving an addiction. It, it's, yes. it's the same thing. It is learning, oh, this 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 red elephant is not really serving me anymore. And, and maybe I don't need it at all. And maybe, you know, it's taking up an awful lot of my time. And I, I hear people say all the time. And I was, I said this when I finally decided to leave AA really for good was I didn't stop, you know, drinking and drugging, um, like I was in order to now be a slave to meetings and, and people in the meetings. And here's the other thing about the difference between support and friendships at like needing support and going to meetings and creating this support network of people. Everybody in that support network of people is doing exactly what you're doing. They're at that meeting to get, okay, to get something, to feel good, to feel safe, to, to, to feel like they don't want to drink or drug anymore. You're taking, you're there that's not what friendships are about. That's right. And even the people that are quote unquote serving for their sobriety are serving, not really serving. No. They're serving themselves to maintain their sobriety and their recovery. Make no mistake. That's the so, only reason they're there. So it's this weird, weird taking world where everybody feels shortchanged. And now I'm going to tell you something, though. There's an allure to recovery. And then we have for to sure. talk about what happens when you get past it because we got to get there. But the allure of recovery of the support network of 
the subgroup, sort of the subculture underneath regular life, you have this recovery network, right? That's what they call it. Um, it's an easier way. It gives you an excuse, actually, not an easier way, but it gives you an excuse to avoid the responsibilities of life. I watched my mom do it. She went from yes. raising 12 children to abandoning 12 children yes. in the name of recovery. She was an extreme example, but I've seen this many times, actually. Absolutely. It happens um, all the time. It does. And in various forms. And, and what it allows you to do is to be distracted by going to church basements and going to your meetings and saying my recovery is number one and not living. And I think that there's an attractiveness to that because it's, sure. there's a lack of risk because it's a known black and white solution. And that is, I need this. Well, no, you don't. First of all, you've decided that you need it, which is fine. Which is the same as deciding you needed alcohol at That's one point exactly in time. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's all what we call the cage of recovery right? All of this, the cage of addiction, the cage of recovery, all of it is a construct. That's why I call it a cage in the book. And now, once you've decided you've challenged the benefits of the drug, you find out it's not serving you and you look at it objectively and you emotionally understand that now you go, oh my God, I got all the science. I got all the emotional part taken care of. I really understand I'm ready to move on with my life. And then you walk out of the cage. And in the book, we talk about like you stand at the doorway and you go, holy shit. Yeah. Like it's like a lion. It's Yeah, it's like a lion leaving the cage. They'll they'll sit in the doorway. They won't just run out if they've been in the cage for a long period of time. They'll, they'll slowly integrate. Sometimes they'll go back in and out. And we see that in our Facebook group where people yes. will go back to meetings for a week. And then, and then it turns come in, back and talk about it. Yeah. And then it turns into a shit show and they're, and then they go on a bender and then they, they take on the addict identity again. They're unsure and they're in and out of the cage of recovery. Right. Once you say, you know, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to go live my life. Something magical happens. And you will, the moment you make the decision, I'm not fucking going back to those goddamn meetings. Once you're done, then, then there's a certain amount of courage it takes to just go start living. And you may be terrible at it, you know, I mean, you, you may, yeah, depending on how long you've been, you've been either yeah. drunk and high and going to meetings and going back and forth. Yeah. Like this whole thing defined you for maybe 20, yeah. 30 years in some cases and young people who have never embarked out on life, especially in the that culture today. Yeah. Yeah. That was I, us. Yeah. It, it took us a long time. It took us about 12 years to, to do this. Now we didn't have the freedom model. You don't have to do this. No. You don't have to wallow for, for a dozen years. You can literally get this book, get our programs, do it. And within a matter of days, have all the knowledge and then go, I can, I can go live my life. Now, living life with free will, autonomy, and the positive drive principle, the attributes that are within you, is an open-ended deal. It is. You get to write your world. You get to, and that scares people, but it shouldn't because here's no. the deal. Here's the deal. You're going to fuck all kinds of things up. <laughs> but you were you were in recovery anyway. Right. Well, it's a guaranteed failure there. Exactly. Right? Your, your life has been nothing but a shit show, right? Mine was. It was tragic. It was tra I was almost dead. But you don't have to answer to anybody but yourself. Yeah. Once you're out, right? You don't have yeah. all these people. We used to call it living in a fishbowl. You don't have all these people 
telling you how you're supposed to live your life. I was somebody that was a people pleaser to the max. And so I would worry about what everybody thought at any given moment in time. And I had this all this baggage and negative self-talk from my character defects, right? And all of these things that I thought made me totally different than the average woman out there in the world. It's bullshit. It wasn't true. I was the average woman woman in the world. We all like the human experience is wonderful and horrible. And it's all of those things for everyone. There is just because I liked being high and drunk for a six year period in my life didn't make me different than anybody else. That's that's a great point. That's a really great. I'm going to jump in right there because Uh, there's this strange idea that you are special in a, in a bad way. Yeah. And you're not, you're not special at all in a bad way. What you are is a person that was trying to find happiness with the knowledge that you were given. And the knowledge that we're given is, is a blueprint. And sometimes the blueprint is really bad and, and counterproductive and hurtful. So what you need to know is that you've been barking up a tree in recovery that is guaranteed painful. So Michelle said something earlier. So now when you leave the cage of recovery, could it really be worse? Could it really be worse than sticking a needle in your arm and overdosing? Really? Is the fear of going out, getting a job and all of that really that terrifying? When you start to put it into perspective, the things about having a substance using life is freaking hard work, man. That is a hard life. I mean, it literally sucked the life out of me. Yeah. But so did the recovery world. Yes. I mean, I mean, exactly. It kept me there. Yeah. It, it, it also sucks the life out of you. If you're like Mark and I were like, gurus before we were 25 years old so and and you know everybody looked to us for all kinds of things and we were we were just young and naive and i mean it, it was it was a huge responsibility and so so the people the people that we were sponsoring were looking to us the people above us were judgmental and mean at times um it was you know, we were looking at pictures um, because we we were going through my dad's stuff and we were looking at pictures. And, you know, there was a lot about that. Like if you were somebody that was with us in the early days, number one, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we had the wrong information. Yeah, I am too. I you am know, too. but yeah. also we learned a ton from you. So thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there were times that were that work great. I mean, yeah. our relationship started there. So, yeah. so there were times that were great, but, but it was, God, it was awful. And I want to just say something about when you leave. Okay. When you leave and you have all of this bullshit going, rooming or ruminating in your mind and you go out to make real friendships. Okay. The friendships you made in AA by and large, are completely conditional on you doing what you're told. Yeah, they're totally superficial. Totally. Yeah. Um, real friendships don't involve that. They don't. And it's probably a good chance that you left real friendships behind when you went to recovery. Okay? I didn't realize that. I left 
real friendships behind with people that, yeah, I partied with, but they were people I grew up with. And quite frankly, they're some of the best people I've ever known. And, and I didn't recognize that back then. And then when I went into recovery, I learned that these people were not great friends, right? <laughs> Cause you got to throw away everything from that life when you go into recovery yeah. and it wasn't true. It wasn't true. So, and then the friendships I made in AA were supposed to be the best friendships, family and everything. Um, that wasn't true. So, so when you leave and you go back out and you think, I don't have any friends, I'm all alone. Yeah, that here, here's the deal with that too. So, um, I, I had burned up a lot of friendships in when I was drinking and drugging. I had a lot of superficial friendships there, but I, I had, did too. I had three friendships that were super solid. And then when I went into recovery, I abandoned those two. And then I went through a period of real intense loneliness because I didn't know how to live my life. I really yeah. didn't. And here's something that I discovered about myself that's maybe a little different than a lot of people. I'm really okay with being alone a lot. Me too. And I, I have a sort of very narrow band of things that I enjoy. I'm not a, a super social person. I'm a little bit of a homebody. I, I, I only like really intensely my family and a couple of hobbies, one of which is obviously my living. Yep. And, and, uh, you know, hunting and my living are my two big avocations. My point is, it's okay that when you leave the cage of recovery, there's a big push sometimes for a super goal oriented, purpose driven life, which some people it works for. But the vast majority of people don't change that much about their lives when they leave the cage of recovery. What I'm saying is that once you've challenged what the drug experience has for you and you've abandoned that you go that doesn't serve me so it drops off then when you realize that recovery doesn't serve you and is keeping you in a cage and that most of the relationships are superficial that starts to drop off very quickly then you're left with well who am i and what i'm telling you is be whoever you want to be right. you don't have to have uh, you know, massive goals list. You don't have to go back to college. You don't have to go build relationships. Now you may want to, right? I was in the beginning, very excited about life and I'm sort of, but what I found when all was said and done, I like hunting. I like going to work and I like my kids and my wife and the select friends I have. And I've done that for now 30 years <laughs> and I have a great life because I know who I am. And sometimes discovering that is, is wild. It's wonderful. I tried a whole bunch of things. <laughs> Me and, too. And I would do them very fast, very intensely, and it would drop off. Intense, drop off. Intense, drumming, boxing, you know, going to college, got four O's, did it. And then I was like, huh, I, I just like, I like looking at the history of AA. I'm a weird dude, <laughs> you know, and, and whatever. And then I like to go hunting and be in the outdoors. And sometimes I like to be alone. Yeah. When, you know? when, when I left, when I left AA, I had basically my family. It was just me and my family. And I had a couple good friends, um, that were, were, were kind of doing the, the, they were people with the freedom model that I worked with. Right. Um, and, um, 
but I, I felt like I needed, this was, this is where I went with it. I felt like I needed to serve, right. I needed to volunteer. So I volunteered everywhere. I had little kids. Oh, you're crazy. I was crazy busy. I had little kids and I didn't want to have a second to like, I was fearful of having a second to myself. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I was fearful of being alone, which is not something I recommend. Right. It's common though. Yep. So I became a volunteer firefighter and EMT. I, um, Taught Sunday school. I taught Sunday school. Uh, my husband coached baseball for a little while. Um, I was in our youth commission. I was um, I was village clerk and treasurer for a while. I had I became a stay at home mom, but I had like jobs I was doing on the side. I mean, I was running and, ragged. And then she did that for a lot of years. And then for a good solid twenty years, she worked for this company, building it. While doing all of that, while doing all that and working about 10 hours a day, just at work with the kids teaching. Yeah. And I, I had, it was unbelievable. My kids were, I I had three boys and they were all in football and swimming. Right. So we, and track and field. So it's swimming though was year round. So I ended up becoming a swim official for the Y as well, because if I'm going to be at swim meets for an entire weekend, I wanted something to do. So so, I mean, so I don't recommend that either, but it's certainly an option, you know? And what I started to figure out was I don't have to do all of this. Yeah. I think that, that in your case, my, my situation was I was super driven and I'll tell you what motivated me. I was such a miserable, lazy, not lazy, but no. lost kid. Yeah. I was so, so lost that and fearful that when I was drinking and drugging and doing the recovery thing. I, I didn't do a lot of things. So when, when I left the cage of recovery, I became super intense and, yeah, you and, did. and, and then I realized I wasn't very happy doing that. And I slowly, yeah, you were working like 14, 15 hours a day, yeah, some, seven days a week. Sometimes I'd have, I'd, I'd worked so much at the retreat and was building the company that the people around me, we'd be working and I'd be, it'd be two o'clock in the morning. I'd still be working. Yeah. Like, and they'd go holy shit, dude, I I can't do this. And I started, the people around me started to break down. I was like, holy fuck, I'm insane. (laughs) But I was so. My husband did the same thing. They're cut from the same cloth. Yeah, I was so, um, how can I say, depressed about the fact that I was such a loser Mm. that I felt like I had to make up time. It was a guilt drive. That's a great point. And and I think you had the same thing just in the female version. And then there's also, this was, during the big self-help thing, um, which has really morphed now into the pharmacological sort of big pharma take pills. Now we didn't have the pill thing. We had, you need a purpose-driven life. You need this. And what I'm, what this whole conversation is about is for God's sakes, man, just do things that make you happy. You figure out what they are yeah, and, and take your time and enjoy it yeah. because fuck, I, or else you're just going to take all the crap that you've been doing, you're going to make the crap last in your life longer. Like I did. Um, Make sure you're not driving yourself out of guilt and shame and regret for your past transgressions, you know, trying to prove yourself to who, right. To, to people that, you know, I mean, one of the things, yes, when you're leaving, when you're leaving AA, there's scuttlebutt there's, but we had that right from go because we were a little bit of a, 
maverick group. You know, we wouldn't call ourselves alcoholics. And so people in recovery were not nice to us. Um, and, but at the same time, we sponsored a ton of people and we got a lot of shit when we were pulling away. We did. Um, and you kind of got to, so, so I think part of me trying to build my life was to show people, see, I'm great. I'm good. I I'm okay without you people. Me too. I'm not a loser. I'm not, I'm not lazy. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm smart too. I'm not going to go out and get drunk and be, you know, cause they, they say that about you. They do. They're like, Oh, they're drunk. They're drunk. So you feel this need to like show them, you know, what's the best revenge is living a good life. And, um, so I was motivated by that for a long time. Like, like, don't, don't go down those paths. Those people don't matter. Like I saw something that, that on, you know, I was saying, I don't know who said this quote, but is, you know, don't, uh, why do you care what the, what people think about you that you wouldn't take advice from? Right. (laughs) I mean, yeah. You know, I, most of the people I knew in recovery, nice people, but I didn't want their lives. I didn't. And so why do I care what they think about me? You know, who helped me with this was Steve Slate. Yeah. It took me a lot of years. I come from a a German background and Michelle comes from a background that's kind of similar, even though they're not. It's European. It's, it's, and, and that era of post-World War II people. Yeah. Our parents Um, were baby boomers. And, uh, mine were pre. Yeah, they were pre. That's right. Yeah. My, my parents were born in the twenties and thirties, but that era of people were all about action and, and just getting shit done. But you coupled it with all the cultural problems that our, um, generations had, and it was a bad mix. And Steve was a little younger, but Steve had gotten to a place that was really wild. He's super kind. He's one of my best friends because he's so not judgmental. Oh, completely not. Sorry, I have allergies like crazy. My nose is itching. But um, but Steve was like, dude, you know, you you have this attitude, and it's a really a German immigrant attitude, and and it's painful to live that way. So he he helped me see that I could calm down and that, and then there was a letter, and I've talked about this in probably three other podcasts, but I'm gonna repeat it here. There was a letter of a girl that had cancer when she was in her 20s and she had she was terminal. She wrote an open letter to the world and she said, don't worry if if you're the type of person that wants to sit on the couch and watch TV every day and just have a mundane job, but it makes you happy, be happy. Be happy. And boy, did I take that to heart. So I started to learn to slow down, to look, smell the flowers, look my kids in the eye, calm the fuck down and stop living my life by the guilt of the past and trying to prove myself to myself and to the world. And now I do have a competition with myself for excellence, but I've learned to meter it where I make sure that I enjoy things too. You know, the process should be enjoyable. My brother Pete said the same thing. He's like, Mark, man, you're you're fucking nuts. You know, you got to slow down. And, and I look at, he's got a wonderful life, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, it took me a long time to figure all this out. The cage of recovery, uh, doesn't have to be leaving. It doesn't have to be crazy. doesn't have to be incredibly painful. Some of it is just going to be your journey. Well, and it's, it's about figuring out like, yeah, who you are and what you like and what's really important to you. And, and I don't have, I can honestly say 
I don't regret all the things that I did after I left. Oh, I don't regret um, it I, I really, my priorities were in line. I really wanted to be a good mom. That was my number one priority. I wanted to be a really good mom and I wanted to learn how to solve addiction. Um, those were my two priorities and I, I, I excelled. So, yeah. so I, I think that was the most important thing for me was to figure out what my priorities were and what are the things that are going to make me happiest in life. That's it. My family, my career. And, um, like, I think you asked me the other day, like, what do you have that you really love? You know, he has hunting, Mark has hunting. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I have a bunch of different things, yeah. um, that like, that make me, but, but I, sometimes I really just love sitting down in the corner of my couch with, um, like hot tea and reading a book. Like that make, probably makes me feel like he feels in the woods. Yeah, I'm sure it does. <laughs> like, you I'm know, sure it does. and are sitting on my front porch watching the deer um, with a cup of coffee in the morning. Like that makes me feel like I, I turns out that I'm pretty simple that way. You know, it's um, oh, what was the quote that I saw? Oh, it just slipped my mind. Mm. It'll come back to me in a minute. <laughs> this happens in every podcast with too many thoughts. <laughs> too many thoughts. So look it, look it. Leaving the cage doesn't have to be scary. Um, it doesn't. And I think the most important thing is to to let go of all of that negative self talk that you learned there, God, and so true. let go of the past. You are not broken. You're not powerless. You don't need support. Um, you what you need is to to get your priorities in line and figure out what you want, what you like, what's important to you, and the friends will come and they'll be real friends. Now, if if you're at a place where all of this seems like a pipe dream because you're struggling with substance use, still, still, yeah, a lot of people that watch this podcast are in that bowl. Um, leaving the cage of recovery can only happen if you fully embrace that a drug, a substance, whatever it is, can't serve you. Yeah. So if you believe that it takes your stress away, if you believe that it takes your anxiety away, if you believe that it helps with trauma, if you believe that it does all these magical things that it pharmacologically cannot do, if you believe those myths, that's going to block you from leaving because you're still in the cage of recovery, whether you like it or not. You're in the addiction cage still because you still see it as a thing, as something that is valuable to you. So that part has to be taken care of first. So I would focus on the chapters in our book. Really, the, the entire book is about that, is deconstructing the addiction and the recovery paradigm. So, so that's that has to get out of the way because you could have the most purpose-driven life of anybody. That's right. We, and we've met many. We've worked with many people, very highly high, successful, yeah. driven people. And then, but they still have a preference for heavy use because they have not deconstructed the mythology of the powers of drugs. Yeah. And if you continue to keep that intact and you try to have a purpose-driven life, 
eventually this thing that you value so much will be the focus of your activities and it will always rot the pro the purpose driven life because the thing about a purpose driven life which we know very well is it's highly stressful <laughs> it yeah. can be highly so, stressful and so there then, are days so then <laughs> if you still believe that the drug cures stress look at what you're doing you're, yes. you're creating a formula that is really destructive so so please don't get ahead of yourself. Get this book. It's free. Get our online program. Get some coaching. We have the Complete Addiction Solution Program. If you're somebody that is totally mixed up like me and Michelle were, yeah, you know, deeply entrenched in, in misery and confusion. And you want to work with us. Yeah. And you the want two of us together directly. Then call in person. Us call us and and then we'll we'll make the arrangements to get you up here spend a couple days with us two we'll days take you through the whole curriculum we'll, do, we'll go through this entire book it's called the complete addiction solution program in two days and then we'll you'll also have some coaching throughout the year following so that we can tie up all the loose ends yeah so you can go home put it into practice figure out who you are what your priorities are look at uh, the other thing i want to say quickly is there is no such thing as building a life that you don't want to escape from that does not exist. Yeah, that's a myth. Mark and I have great lives, great lives. And I can tell you there are days we would just as soon sleep all day and escape from the stress or whatever it is that's going on with yeah, our life. And we've had plenty of tragedy in our life. That's for sure. We've had, we've had a little bit of a difficult year. Um, and so, but, but look at, you can still, you can still be good, good, be know that, you know, my life is pretty damn good. You can still be happy you can even still be when happy. you're unhappy. That's and, what I try to tell people. Yeah. And know that <laughs> never does it occur to me that I should get high or drunk to, to solve those kinds of problems. Never. That, that's right. So even when you're miserable, it doesn't come because you, uh, you have, you have taken care of the mythology that drugs and substances solve those issues. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I think we beat that horse. Right. Yeah. I, I hope you got something <laughs> out of this. I, I really do. I, I just, it's uh it's such a powerful idea that, that you can, you can change your beliefs about the drugs. Then you can change your beliefs about recovery. You can change your beliefs about your self-image. You can change your beliefs about the fact that you need to live the life that others think you should have. That's right. Just live the life you want to live. Yeah, exactly. So look at, Sign up for our masterclass. If, hit, click the click on the. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, um, you can that QR code there, or you can go to thefreedommodel.org to sign up for the masterclass. You can go to freebook.freedommodel.org if you want a free paperback. All you have to pay is nine ninety five for shipping, um, as long as you're in the U.S. And if you're not in the U.S. or you'd rather have a digital copy. Go to thefreedommodel.org and get a digital download with coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout. So everybody, I hope you have a great week. All right, everybody. Take care. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? That's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. 
With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic, and we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.